Welcome to the Answer Real Paradigm Shifters podcast. This show is for and about the entrepreneurs who work to improve and expand our human well-being by bringing cutting-edge technologies and ideas to life. We are Marie and Magnus Dahlgren, your hosts. In this episode, we talk to Mike Baker, also known as Awesome Mike. Awesome Mike is founder of the Awesome Companies. He is CEO of the Awesome Wholesaler Experience and host of the Awesome Wholesaler Experience podcast. And now, here's our conversation with Awesome Mike. There we go. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Now we can hear you loud and clear. <laughs> Mike, I'm sitting here and wondering, what is your funniest talent? Could you share with us, please? Well, that's a very interesting question, um, Marie, because I don't know that I have any talents, frankly. And um, so that makes everything that I try to do pretty funny at first. And, uh, you know, there's a scene out of the movie Goodfellas where he says, oh, I'm funny. Oh, how am I funny? Oh, I'm like a clown. Like I make you laugh. I'm funny. Tell me, how am I funny? You know, and uh, it could be a little bit uh, uncomfortable if you would. But, but I think that the what I've found that I like doing and I seem to be pretty good at it is actually meeting new people is actually striking up conversation. You know, um, I tell people all of the time when I meet them, uh, well, I should say for the last five years or so I've said, hi, you know, I'm, my name is awesome Mike. Yeah. And then I wait and they look and they're like, you know, I get the eye roll or I get the what? And I said, because magic Mike was already taken, you know, and that usually gets a chuckle out of people and you know how many people have said that they're awesome mike or whatever so that's kind of a an icebreaker and then i get into it and i said well actually i have a a coaching and development system that i use the word awesome as an acronym as a structure to talk about the the major facets of success like your activity the who what why your emotional language indicators your systems and, and the such so it's a talent to be able to i really be almost fearless and it's kind of funny because I, I have to almost put myself into this character. Okay. You know, I mean, how many times have you met someone and forget their name almost immediately after they said it? You know, it, it happens on occasion. And I think the, because it's not funny, because it's not memorable. So I use awesome Mike. It's kind of funny. And, um, and then I have a, an actual structure behind it. So meeting new people and, and uh, <laughs> calling myself awesome, which is funny in its own right, if you know me. Uh, Thank you. That leads me to the first question. You mentioned a movie and uh, some talents, and I also look at your bio, how you'd like to be introduced. And it says here you uh, became a drill instructor. So my question is, is senior gunnery, uh, I'm sorry, is gunnery sergeant Hartman real? Yeah, and I think you're talking about the movie Full Metal Jacket. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Lee, Lee Hartman. Yeah. He, he just passed away actually. Oh, I'm sorry. yeah. Rest his, rest his soul. He just passed away. And not only is he a real person, um, but his caricature, his icon was very real for me. My, my partners, the other drill, drill instructors and myself would actually watch the opening scene in that movie before we actually took real live trainees off of the become cattle cars and did the same thing to them. 
and we've had them doing the, you know, dragging their duffel bags around and putting it straight in order and barking, barking, barking. And we call it shock treatment. And uh, yeah. And uh, so, so that movie was instrumental to a generation of soldiers and, and me being one of them. So yeah, very real. Um, it's kind of humbling because I got out of the army. I spent 12 years in and there was a good chunk of it where I was a drill instructor, but I actually got out of the army. You ready for this? In the 1900s. So to say that that's part of my, you know, resume is really stretching. That was when I was a young man. And, uh, but those, you know, those, um, character traits that I developed when I was there, that the mentality, the attitude was really uh, established there. But I'll, I'll actually use this as a good transition to talk to you about a, uh, a transition or a paradigm shift that I had in relation to that. So when I trained those soldiers, it was to have this stuff done by this time or else, yeah. or else. And I, and we would, we would literally, you know, reprimand and punish them physically, mentally, every way we could to instill the importance of getting this task done because if they're on the battlefield and they don't move fast enough, people are going to die. And if you're a support personnel and you don't have the bullets to my soldiers so they can fight and win, they're going to die. So I, I left the army and became a spokesman for an, an investment company. We call them wholesalers. And I was doing a seminar one time and I had a room full of 50 financial advisors, which is, which is a, a big room of a very, a very fertile selling ground for me, huge opportunity. And my support staff from, from the home office failed to get the materials for the seminar to the seminar. So here I am about to present to 50 or so financial advisors and I don't have a brochure an ink pen. I don't have anything to give to them. So I went drill sergeant on the home office people, you know, and really just cranked on them and said, how can, you know, and and then I was, I was contacted by the president of the company later that day. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he kind of reprimanded me, but it it was an, it was an epitome or a paradigm shift when I realized, Hey, wait a minute, nobody's going to (laughs) die. This brochure doesn't show up. (laughs) So it was a really big paradigm shift into my role and to, to be able to metamorphosize or to change into this, this civilian leader of people as opposed to the military drill instructor that I had been, you know, kind of trapped inside of that persona that, you know, mm-hmm. that Gunny had instilled in us. That was, a, that was a big paradigm shift for me is that, you know, we're not on the battlefield. We're, we're doing the best we can to, to do business, but, you know, we're fortunate to where nobody's going to die. If, if we don't get a, a brochure to the battlefront. <laughs> All right. And uh, I'm wondering, this paradigm shift, what kind of um, features or characteristics of your character this paradigm shift um, revealed to you? Could you specify, please? Yeah, sure. So several, and the first ones that come up in my mind, in my mind was was that I was very insecure. You can actually compensate for insecurity with with obsessive compulsiveness. If I am insecure about myself, then I need everything to be in perfect order or else I'm going to fail. Mm. 
I'm not going to be able to be my best. So you, you over prepare, you overcompensate with all, because you're actually insecure in your ability to, to adjust and to navigate. Yeah. That's why a lot of entrepreneurs plan and plan and plan and plan and plan before they ever try something because they're actually insecure in their ability to, you know, to make adjustments, to be able to think through a process or to be able to, you know, to be who they're trying to be. They need a plan where it's a hundred percent guarantee or, or they fail, which is why most of entrepreneurs never get off the starting block. So by having to be okay with someone else, not getting the bullets to me on time and be able to navigate that made me a better person. And, and it happened again. So I, I had other seminars over my career uh, as a wholesaler. I did it, you know, almost two decades. And if it didn't show up, I, I didn't kill anyone or I didn't, you know, use that drill instructor mode on them. I actually did it more of a extreme ownership to where I said, well, I must've failed to give them instructions clear enough and easily enough to get the materials where they were and that I didn't check up on it and I didn't send it early enough so that if something did happen mm-hmm. and then I also didn't have a, a reserve parachute. You know, I went to airborne school and, and you don't jump out of the plane with just one parachute. You have a reserve parachute and, and by having a set of brochures in my bag at all times, <laughs> I was never again a victim of someone else's, you know, failure to execute. So nobody died, yet I still got it done. In fact, even today, I have this right here. This is my backup. This is my phone that has the connection for this meeting. If something were to go wrong with this meeting, with this computer, with this setup, I can call you right now and get right back on and accomplish the mission. So having a little bit of redundancy helps. But I think that the the growth that I had was to, one, take extreme ownership, and two, is to not be so insecure that I won't allow myself to be a little bit vulnerable and trust in others and trust in my ability to, to react and to navigate through a situation if it, if it did arise. Thank you, Mike. And you also said that this paradigm shift uh, led you to the realization that you are not victim anymore. Yes. That's, it's all about the um, ownership for your deeds and your actions. And whom did you become? Could you share with us? Whom did you become? Well, I became awesome, Mike. <laughs> and I'm still becoming. Yeah, I'm still becoming him. And you know, it's interesting. It's very interesting to to me, at least. Uh, it might be extremely boring to someone else, but but being awesome, Mike, is a constant reminder. One of the awesome opportunity that I have. You know, I live in America. I'm capable. I've, I have an education. I have. I have ambition, you know, all of these things lead me to believe that I actually can be awesome. And then by telling myself that I am awesome, like it also makes me step up. It makes me reach. I say, Hey, this is not something that someone that's awesome would do. This kind of, this is the best you, the best you can do. So my dad actually instilled that into me when I was a, a young man. And if I didn't hit my goal, if I didn't win the gold medal in the karate tournament, or if I didn't, you know, get first place he would ask me he would say is that the best that you can do and at first you might think oh my goodness that's that's awful that you know that a, a father would ask a son kind of in a demeaning manner like that's the best that you can do but then in the same respect he was telling me that he knew that i could have done better mm-hmm. 
And instead of him just telling me, hey, you could do better than that, he just simply asked me, is that the best you can do? So it helped me to, to really continue to strive, continue to strive, and I still do today, continue to strive. And one of the ways that I've found that it has changed me and, and released me from feeling, you know, kind of imprisoned or a victim mentality yeah. is I'm very conscious. I had a paradigm shift. You know, I, I grew up in, in a suburb of Detroit, very blue collar, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a few bare knuckle fist fights in the back of the school and, you know, in the hallways and saw some things and, and I started to travel and, you know, I went to Georgia at 17 for boot camp, and mm-hmm. it was interesting. There's a different kind of people down there. And then I went to Germany, holy cow, Berlin, Germany. And I was there during the cold war, believe oh, it or not. Yeah. And, and then I tore the wall down. I was a part of the crew that did that. And then I stayed really? there a year and a half after the wall came down. Oh, but you could imagine the variety of different people, of cultures. What a time of world change! So I got to see a lot of different things. And then I came back home and quickly got a job as the spokesman role. And I was traveling across the country now, and even internationally, Canada, Mexico, and such. And what I what I realized is, and the paradigm the paradigm shift came when I realized that I always find what I'm looking for. If I go to St. Louis, Missouri, or Missouri, depending on which side of town you're from, and I'm looking for the five reasons why this is the worst city in the world, they will show up. I will find those five reasons. If I look for the five reasons why St. Louis, Missouri is the, the jewel of the world, I will find them. All right. It's the same in Minneapolis and Chicago and Miami, Houston, everywhere I've been, I find what I look for, even in Detroit. So the the epitome or the paradigm shift, the epiphany, the paradigm shift was that I'll find whatever I look for. So it's very important that I am controlling my thoughts and my eyes so that I am looking for what I want to find. Yes. Now, I'm not naive. I don't go through life, you know, thinking that everything is, is balloons and, you know, rainbows. Um, I'm aware that there are things that I maybe don't want to, to see. And you do see those and you deal with them, but I'm not looking for them. Yeah. So I'm not ignorant or naive, but I'm actively seeking those things that I want to surround myself with or I want to interact with. That's interesting. And how are you doing this on a daily basis? Do you have some kind of routines, exercises, I don't know, meditations? How do you do that? You know, I probably could do it better. Like, I'm really working on uh, one of my coaches, Dr. John Rhodes. He has a program called the STAR program, and it really was was, uh, instrumental in my, I guess, another paradigm shift to go from an actual uh, doer to being a coach and you know it was uh it was probably march of 2007 and i was in dr rhodes's star program it's an executive coaching program yeah. we had a homework assignment and we had to share it with the group and something kind of clicked and i said you know what i like this i could actually see myself being a coach this is march of 2007 yeah. And it was kind of like a the spark, like a little spark. And it really started me into coaching other people everywhere I went. I didn't just talk about my product. I didn't just talk about, 
you know, hey, you should buy this ink pen because I say so and this and whatever, whatever. It was more like, how can I help your business? So I took on this coaching mentality from Dr. Rhodes. And Dr. Rhodes taught us this thing called a, an early morning success ritual. An early morning success ritual. And um, it's kind of interesting. Do you know what he said that the, the most important thing about an early morning success ritual is? That it's early in the morning? <laughs> Correct. And the only way that you're going to get up early in the morning is if you go to bed early the next the mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't stay up late and have an early morning success ritual. Right. So that, yeah, so that's one of those things. So I, I um I guess what I do normally is I will take my daughters to school. Now if I'm on the road, obviously I can't do that, but every morning that I am home, I will take them to school and I kind of have them trapped in my office here, my car, <laughs> for a good twenty five minutes. And I try to instill the values and the, the ethics and the concepts with, with them. I try to instill it into them and it kind of gets my mind started in the right direction. So that would be my, you know, probably my biggest, um, the biggest part of my early morning success ritual currently. Mike, before I started to ask you about coaching, because I already have a lot of questions, I would like to ask you, you said that you were in Germany in time when the wall collapsed and actually you were one of the people who were reassembling this wall. I'm wondering what you were thinking about when you were doing that. Well, that's a, uh, that's an interesting question. Okay. So let me set the time. It was November 9th, 1989, mm -hmm. November 9th, 1989. I turned 19 years old on November 20th, 1989. So do you have any idea on what a what what an 18 year old young male in a foreign country where the mark rate is 2 to 1 so every dollar i had was worth 2 dollars of the local currency in the infantry you know what was i thinking about i was thinking about wow look at all of these girls <laughs> <laughs> and and actually it was interesting because um it was it was more like hey, look at all these new people and wow this is interesting that they are they are behaving kind of peculiarly and they come over and there's all this crying and all this and, and being an 18 19 year old we have no idea no reference point you know if it happened today i would have a much different re different reference point because i understand a lot more about life so i still you know kind of revisit those values i'm still friends with several of my friends that, I, that my, my soldier, you know, platoon mates, mm -hmm. company mates, my, my brothers, I'm still friends with them today from that experience. Um, but I really couldn't put it, you know, it was just, it was like more friends that I haven't met yet. So now I, now I can meet with them. Yeah. We were also at war or getting ready to go to war in the Gulf in the, in the with desert storm. So it was, it was a very fluid and kind of auspicious time you know to be there um we were on guard because there was the reunification of germany was happening having the following october if you recall yeah. so there were all these different threats that were that were taking place and um, so we had a lot of uh, activity around that but i i don't think that i understood and i don't maybe not maybe nobody did at the time the 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 magnitude of what was actually happening in the world the fall of communism was kind of marked by that 
it was really for a 19 year old that was like, Hey, the party just got bigger. And, and, and there was some fear too, frankly, because you know, the wall comes down and lining the wall were the Pulitzer police vans. Mm-hmm. And I didn't count them, but they, they had said that there were 10,000 Pulitzer oh. guarding the wall. What I did see were these huge water cannons. They had these huge water cannons. And if someone tried to come across or come over the wall, mm-hmm. not during the regular, through the regular checkpoint, they would hose them back over the wall. so it was i mean it was pretty uh intense to say to say the least but yeah as far as the historical value of it i didn't it was just more friends and um you know it was it was a great party but that way we had a great time there was no we had no negative incidents no violence nothing everyone was so happy that it was um, it was a really beautiful moment thank you thank you for sharing and now about coaching. You mentioned coaching mentality, and I'm wondering what coaching mentality means for you. You know, there's several different facets of coaching, several different parts of it. And, you know, for me, I, I believe that I get a lot of fulfillment out of paradigm shifting. Uh-huh. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, show, it's what you do, but literally when I tell, when I tell a financial advisor or I tell a wholesaler, I say, you know, most of the time, this is what the W and awesome stands for. Most of the time we always focus on what we do. Hey, I'm like, you know, nice to meet you. Or I'm awesome. Like, what do you do? Oh, I do coaching and consulting and strategic advisory services. Oh, I do public speaking. Oh, I'm a wholesaler. I'm a financial advisor, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, what have you. And I coached these, and I said, it's not necessarily about the what you do. It's more important about who you do it for and why you do it. Say you're a financial advisor. Let's say that I'm I'm a financial advisor. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm the uh, founder of JBRS Financial, kids' initials. And we provide financial planning and wealth management. That's the what, which is all kind of the same. I mean, it's all financial planning, wealth management. It's kind of vague. But we provide that to parents and loved ones of children with autism to ensure that those kids have a decent and dignified lifetime. So holy cow. Mike Baker, founder of JBRS Financial, we provide financial planning and wealth management to the parents and loved ones of children with autism to provide a decent and dignified life lifetime you know for that kid's lifetime so mm-hmm. that's the who now any parent or grandparent or loved one with somebody that's got a kid with autism they raise their hand they go oh my goodness mm-hmm. that's that's for me it's not about the financial planning wealth management so when i tell an advisor that or if, and they get it and they say oh okay so it's not about the what i do it's about who i do it for and that light goes off in their head that's very fulfilling to me because i know i might have just changed their life i might have just changed their paradigm mm-hmm. on how to help more people, which is what they're trying to do. So if I would ask you why it's important for you, could you share with us, please? Is it about contribution for you? Or what are your thoughts about that? What is your why? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, great question. Great show. You, you're very, you guys are very good at this. So Grant Cardone, who is the, he's Miami-based, you know, motivational expert guru kind of dude. Um, he taught me this 
and you know uh, Simon Sinek with the whole start with your why yes. movement. So I'm thinking about you know why for me why is it money is it financial freedom is it you know there's all of these kind of material things that are out there and Grant kind of summed it up for me and it's his his own goal which I've now adopted. The reason why we do these things, the reason why I am am why, why I run the awesome companies. You know, I have awesome business consulting. They have the awesome life network. I have the awesome wholesaler experience. The reason why I'm doing these is for one reason, and that is to reach my full potential. Mm-hmm. Interesting. To fulfill my potential. I've been given these abilities, these connections with these learnings and the ability to meet people and so, so I don't know where it stops financially. I don't know where it stops. You know, I would like to, to positively influence, to reach a billion people with the B in the mm-hmm. next 10 years. Oh, and that's just because that's only, that's only as far as I can see my potential. You know, that's what I want to do is reach my potential. So that's why I'm striving. And I believe that through coaching, I can do that. I seem to have a knack for it. I enjoy it. And it's a real way that I... I can scale up and reach more people and help them. Interesting. And I have another question, of course. What if we will pretend with you right now that you already achieved your full potential? Who are you? Awesome Mike. Awesome Mike. Yeah, literally, that's, that's who I want to be is awesome Mike. And you know, I do have people that I, that I would like to replicate a few of their traits like Tony Robbins, very dynamic, very passionate on stage speaker. That's, I want to be like, I want to do that. Brian, Brian Rose has developed his, 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 uh, his knack of doing online meetings. Brian Rose. So I'd like to do yeah. some of that. Grant Cardone does a show every day at noon. He's doing a show every day on a different topic. I would like to implement that. Jeffrey Gittimer does a lot of uh, in-person, you know, live workshops across the country. I would like to implement that. So there are bits and pieces from a lot of people. Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Yeah. um, Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn is actually the guy, R-O-H-N, if you know Jim Rohn. He's actually the guy that found Tony Robbins. Right. Yes. Do you know that story? Yeah. Yes. 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 He was working in his, uh, for him during his seminars. And he. Yeah. And actually, Tony attended a seminar. Right. And they had a little station set up to where you could leave a testimonial about your time at the seminar. And Tony did it and they said, wow, this guy looks good on camera. And they followed up and they followed, you know, and then it worked out. But so a lot of those guys are there a lot in the, the list, you know, my, my room of mentors is, is large and it continues to grow. Um, so I want to, I want to be me. I don't, I don't necessarily, I feel like I would be limiting my potential if I just said that I would be like, you know, the Tony Robbins. I've used this before. I want to be the Tony Robbins 2.0. <laughs> and I think that's limiting because I think I can, you know, just be me and be awesome. Mike. Yeah. I got a question for you related to this. Do you enjoy the process or the goals more? Of both. Or both, or neither. <laughs> so the the goals the goals is goals is interesting because um, you know goals are important to have some. And I'm I'm very goal oriented. I'm very competitive. 
like for me to do martial arts, I do martial arts and um, it was always about becoming a black belt. And then I became a black belt. I am familiar with the concept. Yeah, that's that's like the, and it, it really is. It is, it is a life changing moment. And I didn't say when I got my black belt, I didn't say when I earned my black belt, I said when I became a black belt. It's a diff- it's different. different, and everything I do now has to be black belt level, right? So that was a goal, and but the the actual process made me who I was. I didn't just get the the goal; I became worthy of the title. And then I then I said, okay, well, I want to compete, so I started fighting, and to fight now I had to become the national champion. And it wasn't just good enough to win a gold medal somewhere. I had to become the national champion. And so without the goals, it, it, it's, it can be easy to kind of cut yourself short or not have a measurement. Um, but it truly is about the journey. It's truly, it's not about the victory. It is, a, the victory is important. But as soon as the victory is finished, very quickly, I want to go on to what's next. So I don't know if that answered your question so much. It's really both of them are important to me. Well, I, I was just as interested in seeing how you view the goal because it's a little different than just a, a point that you pass. It's more about a step that you step on. The, the goal is not uh, a point. It's more like a a step. It's a benchmark. Absolutely. A benchmark. And then you yeah, can step on that to the, towards the next goal and, and, and build rather than just being – stations along the way that you pass yeah and i think that is um that is why coaching can be very important is because without a coach once you hit your goal you might be left looking around okay what's next and your coach can help you design an ecosystem for yourself to where you are thinking about the next phase as you're finishing or as you're in the in the phase that you're in, uh, one of my coaches, he does this with this karate school, Keith Hafner. Keith Hafner's karate was one of the largest. In fact, at one time he he claimed that he was the largest taekwondo school, karate school in the in the country. He's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, and he used what was called the half moon principle. And the half moon principle was, you know, if your goal was to become a black belt, and it was a four year program. Well, in the second year, he would start introducing to you the potential to become a second degree black belt because you had enough momentum to get to the first degree and you're going to continue just doing what you're doing and you'll be there. And then what, and then what, well then now you got to look at the next step and the difference between a first degree black belt and a second degree black belt is huge. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's a, once you become a black belt, now you are ready to learn. (laughs) Once you become a black, now you are ready to learn. Yes. So becoming a second degree black belt is a, is a huge leap from just becoming ready to learn. Third degree black belt is even more. Third degree is called the power rank because usually you are at your, your peak as far as energy, as far as desire. Now you want to prove that you are a champion amongst black belts. And then when you hit fourth degree, now it's, you are a master. So the difference in skill level and ability between the first degree black belt and the fourth degree black belt is exponential compared to white belt to black belt. 
Wipe out the black belt. It's just the tip of the spear to get to that fourth degree. And then from fourth degree, it's okay. Now you have to become a grandmaster. You have to produce masters. You have to go from doing. You still do. But now doing becomes more teaching and developing others yeah. as opposed to just doing it yourself. And I think for me, actually, with coaching and with wholesalers, I've, I was a, a very good wholesaler. You know, I have plenty of trophies and, and, you know, this watch is a trophy from my success as a wholesaler. And to become a coach for wholesalers is kind of like me becoming, you know, a master level and even a grand master level to where now I can develop great wholesalers or awesome wholesalers along the way. Interesting. Could I ask you what life is all about for you? <laughs> um you know, I just, you say that all these different songs pop in my head, you know, like every day is a winding road, Sheryl Crow, you know, and, and, um, I think life is about living. I think life is about living for me personally. If I am not in the battle, if I am not on the, on the, on the battlefield, metaphorically making moves, doing things, mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable. Sundays at times can be the worst day of the week for me because it's a little slower, people are relaxed, oh, I don't do that on Sundays, what have you. And, and that's very frustrating for me because I feel like I'm not live, living up to my potential. Mm -hmm. so, so for me, life is about living. It is about, life is about Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn said that his father would be out until 10 o'clock every day. And he said, live life, go to the parties, go to the thing, go to it. Yes, there are all these different excuses on why you can't go. Find the reasons to outweigh the excuses. And that is what life is about. Life is for living. Interesting. Thank you. And um, I would like to ask you to share with us and our listeners a little bit more about your awesome system, because I know that each and every letter in this word means something. Could you explain us? You know, I would love to. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome, yeah. So, you know, and I'll tell you, the origin of the word awesome came from the 80s, 1980s. That's when I was in high school. Okay. And that's when that kind of became cool. Everything was awesome and, you know, kind of the, the valley girl mentality with the clothing and with all of this. So the word awesome was, you know, it was commonly used. And then I went to the Army and uh, the first – the first company that I was assigned to, it was Alpha Company, mm -hmm. and they called it, Al oh, excuse me, they called it Awesome Alpha. Huh. So every time that we assembled and the commander would say, you know, come to attention, we would all yell, awesome, you know, <laughs> so, so it was being programmed in my head. And then I got out of the army and started doing this and that other thing. And, and then um, I was a swimming pool at a conference and I, I did something, I don't know, like a trick or whatever it was and somebody said wow that was awesome mike and it kind of hit it was like well that was that was awesome mike mm -hmm. and so i said oh i'll start using that it was really joke out so i said well i go by awesome mike because magic mike was already taken which is kind of funny you know mm -hmm. and um and it, it was very memorable and then as I started to, to design my coaching program, you know, I needed some way to organize my thoughts and the structure. Yeah. So I said, well, I'll just call it the awesome wholesaler experience. I call it awesome business consulting. And I use each of the letters as a, as a word 
of this acronym. So really quickly, and each, each of them are their own, um, their own course, their own module in the, the, the master course, but they're also their own course. So A is for your activity, mm-hmm. for your activity. What are you doing? Are you, are you making phone calls? Are you sending emails? Are you doing presentations personally? Are you doing Zoom meetings? Are you meeting face-to-face? And when you, when you look at activity, there's, there's a, a few different facets to it. One is, you know, is it urgent or is, is it important? Important, yeah. You know, there's the Covey quadrants, right? Yeah. So to help identify which activity and then put it in its right, right quadrant, whether it's important or, or urgent. And then secondarily, there's a, what I call the efficiency versus impactfulness frontier. So mm-hmm. is this activity efficient? And then how impactful is it? Think about an, an email. How efficient is an email? Well, it's instant. It's free. Yeah. Right? It's very efficient. How impactful is an email? It depends. <laughs> yeah, it depends, right? Um, but then, now let's compare and contrast it to a face-to-face meeting. If you, if you and I had to do this meeting face-to-face, how efficient would that be? I think okay. much more. Well, I gotta get, well, it's not, not efficient. It's much difficult. I have to get on an airplane. I have to come out and visit you, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's, it's much more uh, difficult to actually make happen. But mm-hmm. impactful? Oh, yeah. It's very impactful. All of your senses are available now, not just your eyes with the reading and email. So, it, so there's, a, there's not a silver bullet with your activity. Okay. You don't just pick one silver bullet. You have to mix and match all of these different activities mm-hmm. so that they so that you get both the efficiency and the impact. And I'll, I'll go through the rest of them without going into that much detail, but the W stands for the, the who, what, and why. And I mentioned that, that earlier. Who, what, why. Yeah, everyone listens to the same radio station, Marie. Everyone does, even in, even in uh, you guys are in Maryland, right? Massachusetts, Maryland. 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 Yeah, yeah, they play there too. Maryland, it's, it's, uh, it's W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? Everyone, mm-hmm. that's what they want. So if you're not talking to them, you, you never reach them. The E stands for your emotional language indicators. Now, are you guys familiar with the five love languages? Yes, I am okay. familiar, yes. Okay. Uh, if you could repeat it for our, our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so I've taken, taken the idea from that, is an, and the idea is that we talk in different languages. Different things are important to us as people. So I teach my students that they need to know their language. Like I am a, I am a pride person. So I want the best of things. I want the finest of things. I want the five star mutual fund. I want the nicest restaurant. I want the, you know what I mean? And if someone is fear-based, like their emotions fear, and I'm talking about how great this is and how proud I'm of it. And they are, they are freaking out because they're like, Oh my goodness, that must have cost so much. And I'm not going to have, you know, you know what I mean? They, they're risk adverse and I'm, I, I'm fearless. So, but if I'm talking to them, we're not going to communicate very well. Mm-hmm. So what, I, what I teach my students is to identify their own language and then identify their, their, um, the person who they're communicating with. I almost said they're victim, <laughs> but the person that they're communicating with just to identify theirs and then be able to talk to that person in a language that they can hear. Yes. So it's a very big, big component. S is for your systems. And the word system is its own acronym, which stands for save yourself, stress, time, energy, and money. Without a system, that is your system. Randomness is a killer. 
people do these random acts of selling. So we talk about the, your system. How do you do a meeting? Inside the meeting, how do you set it up? How do you keep the flow of the meeting going? What does your email campaign look like? How are you doing this? There's a lot of systems that are involved in the great business. Always for your omnipresence. Omnipresence. You have to be there all the time. Now, it's not my client's responsibility to think of me when they're ready for coaching. No, no, no. It's my responsibility to be right there when they think of, hey, I need a little hand with something. Omnipresence. M is for memorability. Awesome, Mike. Pretty memorable. You can have your own memorability. You might be known as the guy, like uh, um, Lee Harvey was known for that voice. Jesus, H Christ, pile a jelly donut. You know, he's known for that. that. In your foot locker. Yeah, in your foot locker. Yes, yes. See? Very memorable. Very memorable. So I help my, my students to develop their own memorability. And then E is for your engagement process, which ties it all together. You can have all of the first six. If you don't have a method to engage with your client, then it's just a nice conversation. So I talk about them. So those are the, the seven letters. Activity, who, what, and why, emotional language indicators, systems, omnipresence, memorability, and engagement process. And they're applicable in business and in life. Right. If I want to be a good father, what are my activities with my kids? Who am I targeting? Now, when you say who, well, you got your kids, obviously. Well, my kids are all different. And there are different phases of their life. So there's, you can get into it. E, what are their emotional language indicators? How do I communicate with them? They're all different. S is for my systems. What's the system? One kid needs more attention than the other one does. One kid, if I'm talking to her every day, all day, she is absolutely annoyed. The other one can't get enough. Memorability. I want to make sure that I have moments with my children and that, that, that they, remember, they remember them well in you know, well after I'm gone. And then of course the engagement process is the same too. How do I engage with my son versus my other son versus my two daughters? And so, so you can apply an awesome acronym, this awesome way to business and to your life. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> I'm boom. processing. Yes. Boom. <laughs> awesome. Mike, I have a question. What is the biggest challenge right now in your business? Could you share with us, please? Do you have that? Um, you know, this, this is, this is interesting. So I'm, I'm at a very good place. I'm at a very good place where I have, you know, my, my mind, I've had a paradigm shift myself. So I've moved from this, um, measurement based philosophy to where it's, you know, like, like learning to dance, step one, step two, step one, step two, and trying to learn this perfectly to where, to where now I know that there is going to be this thing called resistance. So I do face some resistance along the way, but I don't necessarily find it defeating. And I guess it would be, would be challenging. And I don't know that I rank them like this right now. I don't have a, an actual recording studio. You know, so that would be something that would be nice to have a studio. Do I need a studio? No, I've got it right here. I don't have, you know, the latest technical gadgetry. You know, I'm using a, an HP laptop as opposed to a 4K camera. So there's, these are little challenges that are not really um, prohibiting me, I should say. And I also say, too, that I don't think enough people know 
about awesome mike yet that's probably my biggest challenge is getting the word out getting my hand raised enough to where i can say hey guys i'm right here if you're looking for a way to achieve an awesome work-life balance without destroying yourself your career your family mm-hmm. that's what we can help with that's the message i'm getting out there Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what do you think your tipping point is? Where, where, where do you think that is? You know, I think I'm close. And I believe that um, LinkedIn is the key for me. A lot of the professionals that I am helping are on LinkedIn. And it's a matter of getting momentum with the realization that I'm, that I'm not just a wholesaler anymore, that I have this platform out there. That's where it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. I use my podcast, the Awesome Wholesaler Experience Podcast. It's mm-hmm. on iTunes. I use that as a way to share incredible guests with the audience. And I believe that the more of those incredible, awesome guests that I can have out there as antenna, that, that eventually there will be enough and I'll get that magical guest that goes viral. And that will be, my, be a, tip, a tipping point, I believe. Huh, that's great. But who knows? You know, I mean, I have my own crystal ball that I take with me everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> fuzzy and blurry. <laughs> Mike, could you share with us your values? Because I know, at least I'm convinced in this, that the uh, fastest way to connect with people, with listeners, with your potential clients, to share your values. What are your values? Oh, well... I value, I value effort. I value effort. I value, yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a big wrestling fan, like the professional wrestling, you know, but if you were, if you, uh, if you know about uh, Dwayne Johnson, the rock, that's kind of where he really hit it big was, was at wrestling. And he had his, his little sayings, his mantras, you know, and the one that kind of stuck me, stuck with me though, was don't talk about it, be about it. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about it, be about it. And my, one of my company commanders, um, you know, we were, we were Delta company and the motto was deeds, D E E D S deeds, not words. So I, I value, I value initiative. I value effort. I value, resilience I value optimism great yeah yeah pessimism is um, and in fact it's funny I'm pessimistic about pessimism you know (laughs) that's one of my learnings is hey just because I'm mr. happy awesome guy you know mr. optimist doesn't give me the right to be negative towards somebody who hasn't done the same thing, who not on my, uh, you know, on my happy ship. And I need to be able to give people their own right to be who they want to be. And, you know, that's, that's actually another, another uh, paradigm shift that I had um, probably later, later, later last year, early this year, actually is, um, is this difference in mentality from chasing something to possess it, you know, like, uh, yeah, like if I'm, if I'm going after a, a prospect and, and a huge advisor, 
And this advisor does a ton of business. And if I get this advisor to do business with me, I'm going to really do well. So I chase this advisor. I'm chasing them, chasing them, chasing them. And then when I get them, now I want to possess them. Oh, you can't do business with that person. Oh, you can't do business with that. Why are you talking to that person? Oh, you should just ask me about this. You know what I mean? And you think about it in relationships. We often do that. If we're insecure, we'll, if, if we're dependent on someone to complete us, right. we're going to chase them and possess them because if they go, now we're incomplete again. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the old mentality. The new mentality, the awesome mentality, if I can steal it, is to pursue something, to pursue a relationship with this advisor. And then when I get success, to appreciate it. So no more chasing to possess. Now we pursue to appreciate. And then when that relationship ends or changes, I'm, I'm actually still me. I didn't rely on that relationship to make me who I am. I benefited from it. But when it, when it goes, now I have this treasure chest full of appreciations that I've had along the relationship's duration that I can take with me instead of feeling like I've lost something. No, it's changed, but I've gained all of this wisdom, all of these trinkets of of value because I appreciated the person or the relationship as opposed to trying to possess it. And now that it's gone, uh, how can I survive? Yeah. That's yes. That's great point. And, um, I would like to add that I think that it's possible only if person feels complete and whole in himself or in herself. So it's all about being authentic and whole. Totally agree. Totally agree. And part of the coaching that I, that I help these guys with is I don't try to give them little tricks and techniques on how to get the advisor. Yeah. Oh, you're not interested. Oh, well, what are you not interested in? Yeah, that's a dirty little trick, you, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and all those tricks and techniques are because you're not, you're not working on yourself. So instead of working on all these tricks and techniques, I try to help my members and my clients to work on themselves so they can present, they can pursue, they can present their offering. Yes. But they're okay if the person doesn't accept it. If it's if it's a no, they don't get crushed by it. And now they want now they hate that person because they told them no. You know, you know? And yeah. and you, you see it all the time to where someone will try to interact and the other person will reject them and now the person hates them. And they may try to hurt them. You know, if if I can't have you, nobody can kind of mentality. Yeah. Where it's much better to say, No problem, and I'll continue to pursue. I'll be here if and ever you're ready but I'm okay with myself. That's much more of what a high performer wants to associate with. Yes, no one wants true. to associate themselves with a the needy person. Mm-hmm. Who's got, you know, now I'm going to have to cater to your vulnerable ego. <laughs> and if I do a piece of business with someone else, you're going to be mad. And I, now I feel guilty and I have to help you. Be, no, they don't want that. They want to say, Hey, here's my ally. Here's this person that provides tremendous value and is there when I'm ready to be with them and is not destroyed if I'm not ready today yes. because they're whole, as you mentioned, they're whole. They work on themselves more on the tricks and techniques. Yes. Yes. I agree. Absolutely with you. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's cool. And awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
You know, one more, one more thing about that, I should say, maybe it's another thing that I've learned is this, there's a, a, a paradigm shift from competition Mm-hmm. to right. collaboration 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 right all right competition means that i'm going to compete for that advisor's business and your product is just like my product maybe I have a couple of different nuances but we're going to compete for that person's business and i'm going to know everything about your product and i'm going to know where your weak spots are and i'm going to protect my product's weak spots so that you don't know them. That's competitive mentality, but that's based on scarcity. Yes. Based on there's only, there's not enough to go around, so I can't share, so I have to beat you. And I've moved from that mentality to this mentality of collaboration. Abundance. And it's abundance mentality, yes. It's abundance mentality. And the truth of the matter is, not everyone is 100% in love with what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. And not everyone is going to be hundred percent in love with what my competitor has to offer. And if we just simply exchange the bottom 20%, like, like if I have a hundred people that are my clients, the bottom 20% probably don't really like them. They're not, it's okay, but they're not in love with it. They might be your biggest fans or they might be my, right. be my competitor's biggest fans and their bottom 20% could be my biggest. Fans. Mm-hmm. So by us collaborating, <laughs> Our clients really win, and we also win. Yeah. That was a huge paradigm shift That's from cool. competitive scarcity mentality to this abundance mentality of collaboration. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And then because we're Taekwondo people, I got to bring up another one little thing about this, and then uh, hopefully you find it valuable. So I'm a Taekwondo guy. And, and I like, I like it very much, but it has some, it has some, uh, things that I'm not too enthusiastic about all the time. And for instance, there's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of barking that's out there. And I believe that that is, it has good reasons to it, but it also might be based on a little bit of insecurity, a little bit of, uh, over showmanship. Like, like when I break boards or break bricks, I need to yell at the top of my voice to get the adrenaline and all this theater and blah, you know, all this kind of magical, awesome stuff, which I've done and appreciate. <laughs> but I've, I've been training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu now for the last couple of years. And it is a great compliment to Taekwondo. <laughs> and the fact that it's quiet and, it, and it's not destructive. Taekwondo is destructive. You know, if Marie kicks you, Magnus, <laughs> she's going to destroy you. You know, it's going to be damaging. Okay? Yes. You just try the triple kick on me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a very difficult move to make, and uh, the triple kick, yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure she sounded cool doing it too, right? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. But it's destructive. Yep. You're going to destroy your opponent. Jiu-jitsu is quiet, and all that she has to do is just control you. She doesn't have to defeat you. Just control you to win. So if she grabs you and you're fighting, even if it's just sparring, she knows now how to protect herself, and then she can get in a position to where you can no longer harm her. Mm. You can't kick her. You can't, And she can do this without hurting you 
That's the magic of jujitsu is that I can win without actually hurting you. Now, it's like a buffet. If you're the opponent, you can get all you can eat. <laughs> and if you want to keep going, now she can hurt your arm and put a little pressure there. And if you don't comply, she can put a little more pressure. And if you comply, then she can switch and grab you around your neck and put some pressure. And if you don't comply, eventually you go to sleep. So literally, she can dis, uh, totally disarm you, defeat you, render you unconscious without hurting you. Oh, that's cool. That's a martial art paradigm shift. Because Taekwondo, if, yeah, if, if I'm kicking somebody, they're getting hurt. And I'm going to court, <laughs> you know. So it's an interesting compliment that it has. I think there's a place and time for everything. Um, you know, yeah. if someone needs to be barked at and that's going to win the fight without me ever even having to touch them at all, that's even better. Yeah. You know, than having to choke them. So a little bit of a little bit of awesome Mike's opinion on martial arts there for you. Yeah. That was a bonus module. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in deep thinking now <laughs> about Taekwondo. Uh, okay. Mike, uh, what do you share with us your mission? Well, I think the mission is um you know, I've got this big, big goal out there, and that is to reach, reach my full potential. Okay. To reach my full potential, to help others to reach their full potential. That's my mission in life, is to help others reach their full potential. And by doing that, I'll, I feel like I will reach mine. I have some benchmarks. One of them is to impact 1 billion people okay. over the next 10 years. And also, gifting. I would like to continue to donate, to give away 10% of my gross revenues as I continue to grow this business. That's good. And here's the, here's the so what? Like a lot of people do that. Oh, yeah, we always do that. I want to create a structure where I'm giving it anonymously to anonymous. Why so? I think that's the way to do it. I think it's the most real way. Because if I give... X amount of million dollars to this charity, I'm getting credit for doing that if you know about it. And the charity feels like they have to thank me. And so, so am I doing it out of my kindness of my heart or am I doing it because I'm, I'm going to get exposure? And so the only way to, to cleanse yourself from any possibility of that happening is to do it anonymously. And then it also means that I'm really giving because I'm not even aware of where it's going. Now, I'll have a filter in there that protects me from them from my recipients knowing it was me and then also protects me from knowing who the recipient was and why it's important for you to do this like that because i want it to be genuine i want it to to be real i don't want it to be um a facade whom do you want to be instead i think that you know if i say that i'm going to be awesome then that's part of it and I don't need to be fake, you know, phony awesome. I really need to, you know, to, to reach my full potential. I need to be the example that I want to set for my kids and for everyone that interacts with me. And I want to reach as many people as possible. And, and uh, with, you know, with the, the gems that I've collected and continue to collect along the way. That's cool. Thank you. And Mike, you know that, all of us, I think, have um, situations in our life when we experienced failures. 
Could you please share such experience with us and our listeners today? Did you have such and what have you learned from this kind of experience? Yeah, that, that would be a long show. That would be a long show. We talked about all of the, the failures. And I think failure is a relative word. I think failure is like a finite or it's final, like you failed. And I really believe that that is, is just a, it's a learning. Either I succeed or I learn. I succeed in this or I learn from that. Or, you, you know, so I really don't even acknowledge the word failure. It's more of a, you know, a learning point. And I have many of them. Um, and I continue to develop them as I have these different, you know, paradigm shifts as I'm going along. Um, I will say that, um, that my vision, I, I didn't, I didn't have the ability to look up far enough and I didn't have the ability to, to make a, you know, Tony Robbins said it best. He said, uh, and he got them somewhere else, but most people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year. Mm-hmm. You know, all these new year's resolutions, most of them are gone by Valentine's day. Mm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yet, yet they, yet, yet most people also underestimate what they can accomplish in five years. Yes. So the challenge that I had was I, I wasn't patient enough to project out five years. I couldn't see that far. I wanted to, you know, I was like chicken little trying to catch all the money in this one year instead of, I was the hare, I should say, running around instead of being the tortoise and planning it out. So, so what I learned from this is, okay, put together five-year goals, five-year goals. And, and you still take the action on the one-year goal, but the five-year goal is the, is the key. It's short enough to where you can see it. It's crystal clear. And it's far enough away to where you can be in quadrant two and do things that are important, yeah. but have not yet become urgent. So, so I'll tell you, so I'm, I was working with Dr. Rhodes actually. And I'm, I'm like, okay, Dr. Rhodes, I don't get it. Every year I got to do a new five-year goal and it's always five years out there and I never reach it. And, and uh, he chuckled a little bit and kind of, you know, patted me on my head like a school, ch- school child and school age child. And he said, I said, listen, do it by your birthday. So, when you turn 25, what do you want to be? Do you have, what are your goals, aspirations? When you turn 30, what are your goals? 35, 40, 45, and however far you can go. And if you do this with a 20 year old, they can't go much further than age 40. They're like, Oh, I can't even see that far. 40 years old. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Right. Cause they're 20. Yeah. If you do it with, with a 35 year old, they can't see 70. Right. So it was interesting to see how the goals, you know, shrink and they get more, you know, philosophic as you go out there. So that really helped me a lot. But then I come up with this problem with age and, you know, ageism is a real thing. You know, if someone asks you, how old are you? Whatever you tell them, whatever you tell them, they are going to put you in a box. Oh my gosh, you're 40. And they're going to tell you all these bad things. Lordy, Lordy, look who's 40 and all this. And it's never good. You cannot tell me a time when somebody asks you how old you are and they followed up with a compliment, except for this one. Oh, you look good for somebody that's, insert the blank, age. You look good for somebody who's 40. Yeah. You look good for 45. What? Well, excuse me? Excuse me? I look, how about just say I look good? You know what I mean? So <laughs> the weird thing about it is that age is actually a lie. Concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm going to age much differently than the guy who doesn't have clean drinking water or the guy that smokes two packs a day and works in a factory or the, you, you know, so it's not even a real thing. It's just kind of a measurement, if you would, that's out there. So now when people ask me how old I am. I tell them I'm not keeping track. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you didn't cool. know, like if you didn't know how old you were, you would just be, how, be you just be right. Yeah. So I tell them I'm not, I'm not keeping track. And uh, on occasion they'll say, ah, and then they'll press me. No, really, how old are you really? And this is what I tell them. I say, well, let's just say, let's just say that I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30. <laughs> and I leave it at that. And the, the good news okay. is that, that's true. Yeah. And in fact, I'll be closer to 40 than I am to 30 for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I'm not lying. I'm not lying, you know, like lying about my age. But, but here's, the, here's the point, though, is instead of me going by my age now, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, I do it by the year. So I'm not planning on my birthday. I'm planning on this 2020, 2025. 2030, 2035. And that's what I'm using as these targets now, as these benchmarks to develop myself, to challenge myself so that I can simply fulfill my potential. That's interesting. I think I will use this concept in my. There you go. Just call it the awesome concept or whatever. Uh, we were talking about failure and, uh, we heard earlier in the series how failure is the world's feedback on what you do. So it's, it's not really a failure. It's just feedback on what you did. That's right. That's right. And if you listen to it, you can learn. If you don't listen to it, you're going to repeat it. All right. Yeah. Mike, if you would have a superpower, what would you want to change in the world? How do you think? You know, this is a good one. This is a good one. And um, I've been asked this question before. And, and you know, there's, there's ob- the obvious ones. But the one that I would want is to be able to start fires. Start fires anywhere, anytime, because I would start a fire and put it under people's behinds <laughs> so they would get up and go and do. <laughs> so my, my superpower would be to be a, a, a fire starter. Interesting. Fire Mike's barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Mike barbecue. Awesome sauce. That's the real, <laughs> that's the real awesome sauce. <laughs> Mike, I have another question. Is there something we didn't ask you about, but you would like to talk about? Well, I I believe that, um, yeah, you know, your show, Paradigm Shifters, I believe that our world is in a, is in a a renaissance. You know, I'm from Detroit and we had, we had the Renaissance Center, which was built back in the, the heyday of the automotive boom. And, you know, the company and the culture and the, and the world kind of grew at a certain pace, at a certain mentality. And the, the mentality was based on preservation. It was based on be happy with what you have. You got your white picket fence. Don't rock the boat. Pay your taxes. You know, two cars. Mm-hmm. It's all you need. And, and 
now with the internet and with the world becoming what I call a smaller place, the paradigm shift that evolution is happening. And I believe that those that can embrace this paradigm shift will, will succeed, will, will last is, is the paradigm shift that, that the world will be discovered by those that are open to changing it. That are not operating on limited beliefs, but are operating on abundance beliefs. And that really anything that you can think of with enough work, with enough resources, you can make happen. And I believe those that are fear-based and they want to just hold on to what they have, they will die off. Their kind will die off because they will not be innovative enough to keep up with the innovation that the world is facing. If you look at artificial intelligence, virtual reality, these concepts are a paradigm shift. Yes. 30, 40, 50 years ago, they were science fiction. Today, they are reality. You know, these drone-based taxi cabs now that Uber is talking about putting into place. Well, that's your flying car. That's your Jetsons. It's really happening. It's not just a cartoon anymore. So if, if people don't embrace that, if they don't allow themselves to have a paradigm shift, not only in their businesses, but also in their lives and how they raise their families, they will die out. I don't believe it's about a land grab anymore. It used to be about a land grab. Grab some land, invest in land, and real, they're not making more of, you know, beachfront property. Whatever. Well, that, that's horizontal thinking. Yes. But there's only so much of it. And, and I believe that we have to have a paradigm shift and be thinking vertical. And not only grabbing the land base, but think about how you can collaborate. Mm-hmm. and go vertical as opposed to staying horizontal. And I appreciate your show because you're collecting, you're curating great minds that are embracing this paradigm mm-hmm. shift on a universal level. Yes, that's true. Thank you very much for such a great interview, awesome interview, and uh, for yes. such a great feedback about our podcast too. Thank well, you. it was an honor to be on your show, and I thank you for saying that. Thank you, Mike.